Jacket and welcome to None of My Business. I'm Michael Jacket. This is a business podcast, but mainly it's about people and their business. It's driven by my own curiosity and passion for learning from every conversation. Will Randalls, welcome. Jacko, thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries, what number mate. is this? This will be number four. Number four? Yeah, number four. I haven't released Who's number three? Well, we haven't heard it yet, so... Okay. I've got. To, I'm trying to get ahead of the game, mate. <laughs> I don't want I'm to be. With you. I don't want to. I don't want to be recording these things and having to put them out the same day. <laughs> no, understood. Understood. Um, mate, just before I hit, I hit record, we uh, were talking about homeschooling, dealing with the current COVID situation. What's it looking like for you? Are you are you sitting at home all day, every day now? trying to work and homeschool? Oh, pretty much. I mean, you know, we've got a five-kilometre radius that we're allowed to, I guess, pound the pavement with and and the rest of the time you're sort of just trying to manage things remotely. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the days of going out and meeting clients face-to-face and having coffee chats are, are done for the next six weeks. Hopefully it's only the next six weeks. Hopefully, hopefully. And... You know, I think everyone's, everyone's well aware that that's just the way that, you know, business has to be done for I the next so. period of time, yeah. Well, I think also because we did the first one, we kind of like, all right, well, we know what we're in for. Even if this one's a little bit more extreme with a nighttime curfew, we uh, we kind of know what we're in for for the next yeah. six weeks. I'm not sure that curfew really impacts me, though. Mate, it doesn't impact me at all. I'm in bed by eight o'clock. So what does it matter? <laughs> if I, seriously though, like if I'm not winding down between eight and nine o'clock ready to go to bed by nine, then I'm starting to panic about the next day. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 Like the last couple of nights I've been up until, you know, having sort of turned the lights off until sort of 10 and I'm like, oh, this is not going to help me in the morning. Because I'm trying to get up early. I'm trying to get up early, which hasn't really been happening the last couple of weeks of absolute freezing temperatures. But um, but yeah. So if I'm not getting into bed and trying to be asleep by between nine and ten, then you know, I'm 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 in a bit of strife the next morning. Or I know I'm not getting up at five o'clock. That put it that way. (laughs) Yeah, I think. you're you're a lot more regimented than me. I'm during lockdown. I'm in bed at midnight, and I'm getting up at sort of eight. Yeah. And I know I know when I get up at eight, the kids have got up at six, and they've watched cartoons for two hours. Yeah, so and, they're they're ready to pounce. <laughs> yeah, straight away. You already know you're on the back foot. <laughs> um, mate, just because we this is a business podcast, can you just give me a quick rundown of what you do at Buddy? And a bit of an over, just a very top line overview. Yeah, sure. So, um, Buddy is just a small business uh, that rents coffee machinery to cafes, restaurants, uh, some offices. It's it's really niche. It's really very um, low key, no fuss kind of. I guess in some ways just a little rental business. And uh, so I'm, I'm quite surprised that you want to speak to me really. 
Well, in general or for, or today? <laughs> well, <I'm... laughs> no, I, I think it's, um, mate, everyone's got a story. That's what I'm interested in. I think everyone, in fact, that that's kind of the, you know, when you said to me before, I'm still trying to work out why you're doing this. I think that it's it's in everyone's story. That's more relatable because not everyone is running a business that's doing, you know, 10 figures. And that's kind of what I like. I like people's, you know, the way that people have navigated their way through their careers and life to kind of be doing what they're doing. And I think buddies, you know, like that's just where it is for you right now. But do you see yourself being running buddy for the next 20 years or is this part of just a, you know, a stepping stone or where do you see it going? That's a good question. I could happily run it for the next 20 years. I really enjoy what I do and, uh, you know, my day-to-day interactions with my customers and, and, you know, the business is running well. So, you know, there are no real headaches or or reasons to give it away. Mm. However, um, you know, life's short and there, I'm sure there'll be other opportunities that pop up along the way. And so you want to, you know, there might be something else that you want to do and, and it's nice to be open to, I guess, uh, you know, other opportunities down the track. Yeah. Can you hear my, uh, can you hear my 18 month year old outside the door crying? It's just, this is part and parcel of running a podcast from home. Uh, Very professional. (laughs) I keep it real. I keep it real professional. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's what's happening at the moment and you're enjoying it where, so I'm kind of also interested in how you've arrived at Buddy because I think, um, I think that's, you know, you've had a, we've chatted over the years about, you know, the consulting gigs that you've done around finance and, you know, the financial institutions, the banks and what have you. Um, Where do you, where do you, where do you, if you were to say my career started here, what's that, what's the answer to that? Oh, well, I mean, I mean, I, well, you could go all the way back to when I was delivering papers to, as a 13-year-old to um, like selling that. records at the MCG with yes. a few suspect characters, you know, as a, as a 15-year-old. And then, you know, went to uni, did commerce, majored in uh, accounting and so started my life at an accounting firm as a grad. You know, after six months, realised that I didn't want to be there, but my parents pushed hard to say, well, you need to at least do 18 months. Get 18 months on the resume and then, you know, you can you can do something else. And I thought that was, that was advice I didn't want to hear, but I'm glad I stuck to it because, mm. um, you know, it taught me a lot in terms of uh, persistence and, and building resilience, I guess. Mm. But during that time, the GFC had just started and I... I guess I pivoted to, uh, after that role, I went and did some contracting work. Um, and as a young kid who, uh, I guess, is eager and excited to learn as much as I can, um, I was fortunate enough to sort of roll contracts for the next five or six years, all the way through that GFC period, um, and sort of worked on a number of different areas of sort of banking and finance. And... Um, you know, there was a period when 
a lot of my mates were traveling overseas, mm. still, still working. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of mates still working in hospitality. So uh, keeping contact with them and they're living great lives of, uh, you know, partying hard. And, uh, and I was just sort of doing the nine to five as a young 20 year old. But on top of that, on top, on top of that, contracting is an interesting like st- like first step in your career like you know i know you did some other, that the stuff that you just explained before that but i feel like contract you know like i've arrived now at contracting after a decade um but that's an it's an interesting i mean what did you learn from that period contracting early in your career where you know what are you string together with the banks 12 month contracts 18 month contracts six month contracts Oh, some of them were just three months rolling contracts. Yeah. Um, which I was happy to take because, uh, you know, I had no, um, no debt. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was a homeowner or I had a young family. Yeah. It wasn't after that security. I was just happy to get in there, get some great experience. And, um, and contracting was great because you, you know, you're paid on a daily rate, um, which was a you know, amazing coin compared to you know what a grad would be getting or you know a, someone who's only a couple of years into the you know potential industry so um i know we've we've spoken about that a bit before and it just sort of opens your um i guess your prospects to to learning more about different industries and different parts of uh, the banking world rather than just sort of being siloed into one specific area and and, and you know, all of a sudden your skill set becomes very niche. Um, mm. And that, you know, without realising it, you can, you know, next thing you know, you could be doing that one um, specific role or job for the next, you know, 30 years of your life. Um, so contracting was great in terms of just building out um, a broad set of skills for me. And depending on who you talk to, you know, that was either a good thing or a bad thing because, um, you know, I wasn't becoming a specialist in any particular area. But... It was, I was, I was enjoying it because I was always learning something new. So what sort of roles were you doing? Oh, look, a lot of them were the old project roles. So you're getting in there, you're developing, um, you know, new products or new platforms for, you know, banks or, or some of the, you know, wealth arms or insurance arms. Um, I worked on a few remediation, you know, um, projects where you know they were winding down specific businesses or they might have sold a, a business to a different entity and they had to sort of unwind all of their infrastructure and uh, back-end software and files and, and hand that all over um, and a lot of that had sort of I guess a regulatory or a compliance um, undertone to it so you know a lot of the work I was doing uh, you know there were I guess um, you know, it was quite sensitive in terms of what was required and, and making sure you met certain, um, you know, certain hurdles and, and certain, mm. certain requirements before before things got um, ticked off. How did they um, treat, you know, with that sensitivity around that information, how did they treat or deal with, you know, you would have been considered a you know, reasonably junior staff member working on sensitive would, would would that be correct you'd be considered a junior staff member or do you as a contractor do you come in at more of a level playing field and it's just you know you're hired based on your experience and your qualifications rather than being a grad or being a, 
you know, in, in yeah. early. Oh, I think you're, I think, you know, I was always, I was generally always working with people who were 15, 20 years my senior. So you, you probably, I probably was looked at as a junior. Yeah. But as a contractor, you're coming in to do a job and you're being paid to do a job. Um, so I guess that comes in with, that comes with a sort of a level of, um, accountability and, and and with that I guess um, increased uh, I guess maybe respect mm. to that you're going to come in and you're going to deliver what um, you know they, they they need you to do so and if you don't do that you you're a contractor your contract goes out the window and, and they find someone else so if you want that contract extension or if you want a good reference at the end of that to so go and get the next contract um, you know you do have to deliver and you have to get it done so did they intentionally, you know, so this, what's making me think about it at the moment. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of work around the, the research, consumer research and insights. And, you know, what, what you hear within the bigger businesses, within this, you know, the bigger agencies, the old, the traditional agencies within this space is that they're filled with young kids, essentially researchers, grads straight out of uni, they're cheap. You know, and it allows the the firms to or the agencies to you know charge a lot, but not pay a lot in terms of their costs to you know perform that research and do those projects. I'm just wondering if there is, you know, like is that how you is that how you, within the bank system was it similar? You know, you there'd be a lot of sort of younger guys or younger guys and girls that would pair up with or you know work under more senior you know, seasoned kind of banking execs? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, generally, you know, the way it would be structured is, a, you know, they'd hire a project manager and the project manager would have a team underneath them of, you know, business analysts or um, architects, you know, and, either, you know, they'd be out there, you know, developing business requirements or technical requirements to, um, you know, put... Whatever, whatever solution they're looking to, to develop together and then and then look, looking to roll that out. Um, and as part of that, you, you're trying to, um, I guess, you know, take that, the business or, or you know, the, the business along that journey with you to, to, and to, in terms of, you know, development, testing, rolling out, whatever it might be, mm. um, and then implementation. So I think, you know, if you... It's like it's like any industry. It's all about the contacts and who you've worked with previously, and and if you've got a good reputation and you've you've worked with someone you know before, um, you know there'll always be another role for you. Yeah. Um, and I, I I certainly found that I you know I I jumped you know occasionally once or twice from one project to the next, and then I got pulled back into you know a project I'd been on previously. You know, you know it might have been a uh, a next release phase or whatever, um, just because you know they know you've got a skill set, skill set you've you've got a history of delivering and and um, you know you're I guess you're a known quantity in that in that respect, and it's easy for them. You know just, they know they can bring you in and and they don't have to think about it again. Yeah. So what was your move after after working in the banks? What was your where where did you end up next? Well, I actually did. I, so I contracted the banks and then I ended up staying at the bank. So I sort of, you know, I worked on a number of projects that had that sort of risk and compliance 
um, and regulatory requirements or you know uh, undertones there. And so I stepped into a risk and compliance role um, working for uh, at NAB, working for in their NAB. Their, they I just I worked on a as a as an analyst working on. Um, I guess the development of uh, their new trading platform at that time called NabTrade, and they basically just asked me to stick around. And when they after they launched to I guess manage their their risk and compliance um, function, and that was um, I did that for about two years, and that was a great time. Um, it was probably a period where I was just um, I was a new father was looking for a role that um, I guess was a bit more secure and a bit more stable rather than contracting. And um, it allowed me to, you know, just do the nine to five, have a stable income and, um, you know, get some parental leave. Right. Got to wreck, got to wreck that up. Well, that's it. And, you know, during that time, um, I think, you know, it was also, I guess, working in projects and having a think about, um, or, you know, seeing a lot of mates starting their own businesses, you know, it was in the back of my mind thinking to myself, well, you know, I wouldn't mind having a little side hustle as well. Um, yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, talking or coming back to a buddy um, that was never, you know, intentionally meant to be a full-time uh, gig, I guess it was always just a, a little side hustle that um, was meant to be, you know, something that just sort of hummed away in the in the in the background. Um, and so, when we talk about, um, you know, working for yourself and having to make it big and, um, you know, pulling or you know, a, a, a business that's going to support or you know generate you an income. That's going to be, um, you know, decent enough to, I guess, live off. Um, mm. I wasn't sort of um, thinking in that way. So, something else that you would have an interesting perspective on is coming from such big business, like big institutions, big business, big finance. Um, I've just, as you've been talking, where was the place that you worked for that we went and sat in the boardroom after that? <laughs> At night, what was, oh, yeah. that? What was that called? Uh, S&P. Yeah, S&P. Oh, S&P, that's right. <laughs> um, you know, like these are big top end of town kind of businesses. And I know, you know, th then you went away and you did that other little gig for six months or whatever in that compliance role, but now you're at Buddy. Are you missing anything about big corporate or are you thankful or, you know, are you grateful that, you've kind of left certain things behind or what are your perspectives on the, on the differences between doing that big business stuff for so long and now running a small gig, agile, you do what you want, you consult your business partner and you make decisions quick. Yeah, oh, I think you've just summed it up. It's working for those big organisations, you know, you get great exposure to uh, different areas of, the industry and and um, and very much, you know, you you you're in the you're in the thick of of, of what is uh, you know what's happening on a day to day basis um, in terms of the, what's happening in the market. Um, 
but you spend a lot of time sitting in meetings <laughs> that just don't go anywhere. There's a lot of um, politics and you know, your ability to make decisions and move quickly, um, you know, uh, I guess hamstrung a fair bit. So, you know, you, you're working for yourself, you cut all of that out, but, you know, you do miss, I guess, that professional development, that um, working with a, a, a large um, professional group of people who, um, you know, you have that some sort of um, camaraderie with, and um, that's not to say you don't get that working, you know, for yourself or in a small business. Um, you've just got to go out and find it a bit more. And it comes in, it comes in different, different ways. Mm. Um, you know, I find, um, you know, sometimes just speaking with some of my clients, they have so much get up and go and they've just got this attitude of hustle and, out there, this dogged determination to to get the next deal done. You know that that attitude. It's almost um, it's almost palpable in terms of um, you know how much they they just want to go out there and and succeed. And it's sort of it you, you feed off that, and um, it makes you it makes you more determined to to go out there and. Um, and win the next deal. Do you think you don't see that in in the big corporates? Do you, you know, like it's almost like it's a different type of hunger, you know, like, yeah. what You know, like when you're working with small business owners that know that the next the meal on the table is up to them, you know, grinding or, you know, being smarter about how they do business or just being early adopters of things or, you know, like it's a different hunger to when you're in that big corporate world and you see successful executives that, you know, fly all over the, or used to fly all over the world, you know, like, do you see a, a big difference there? I think so. I mean, certainly just from, you know, like we talked about just that accountability, that ability to make decisions quickly, to um, judge a situation and say, you know, yes or no, and just go away and get it done. Um, there's definitely that kind of um, can-do attitude um, mm. with those guys out there doing it for themselves. And I think that's also because they've decided that that's what they want to do. You know, they don't want to be um, having to go and get um, permission from a manager or a boss to, to you know, to go and do something. You know. mm. Yeah, totally. Um, mate, you're a big, you're a big cycler. Uh, how many Ks have you done this week? Uh, a few hours. A few hours. What, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Not a specific number of Ks or are you? <laughs> well, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm online, I'm online now. I'm all my writing's done virtually at the moment because of lockdown. <laughs> totally. I am. Yeah. I only just, so I had a big, I had a big race last night. Oh, did you? Yeah. What are we talking? What are we? What are you racing on? Um, it's just like in a virtual world, you race with all these other people. There's a few hundred people riding last in this race last night, and they're all they all log in from all over the world, and all the trainers sort of link into um, this one platform called Zwift, and um, 
it's it's quite cool. Well, I've only just recently signed up to Strava because I'm doing you know a weekend ride every trying to do a weekend ride, yep. and uh, so I started following you and realised you know the reason why you've got such big pipes is that you do a lot of Ks, um, and <laughs> so I'm 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 fascinated to uh, you know like cycling is is a great is a great thing it just it can be pretty time consuming but you're also up pretty early when you're out there on the on the bike oh for sure for sure i'm but this is the thing with lockdown i've been i've been sleeping in and cycling in the evenings right. it's um it's been a game changer you're going to adopt is, is you going to take some of this uh some of this through to post lockdown maybe Oh, there's nothing better than getting up early and being on a back road somewhere and you, the sun comes up and you might be with a couple of mates, um, you know, having a, doing a bit of a workout up a hill or whatever. And then you're, you're back having a, back in town, having a coffee by, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock. And there's not, there's not many better ways to start the day. Have you done much, um, you know, like networking or, you know, creating connections through sport and cycling and those, you know, like working in the bike industry for, you know, six or seven years, it's a real, like, it's a real clicky space, but it can also be a great one for meeting new contacts and doing something that people are really passionate about. So, you, you know, you're generally creating connections with people about something that's healthy and good for you. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's the what what golf was back in the eighties. Mm. Um, but in this day and age, you know, no, the idea of spending a whole day driving out to a course, playing eighteen holes, and getting home—it's you know, it sounds good in theory, but it's, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a selfish sport. Um, I think your golf. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, the way I get away with my cycling is that, you know, I, I sell it as being less selfish than golf, you know, <laughs> that's a good way. That's a good angle. You know, anyone who's getting up at 5am to get in a workout, I don't think you can call them selfish because they're, they're getting it in while the rest of the family's asleep. And, right. um, I just got to make sure I don't cook myself for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's easy to do on a weekend. You go out and put a, you know, put a bit of an effort in in the morning, and then you just you cooked for the rest of the day. The kids want you to go for a ride. You're like, I'm just being for one. (laughs) Well, exactly, exactly. Um, but I'm sort of, you know, I'm I'm at a stage of my life now where I can get a bit more riding in. The kids are a bit older. You know, when we set up Buddy, it was it was this sort of because it was the side hustle and I was working full time and it was never meant to sort of become a full time gig, mm. but it was set up to be very light touch. And so, you know, really to the point that you, know, you might spend a couple of hours a week on it and that was it. And, um, and I think because it was set up like that and it wasn't, it was never meant to be that full time role. Even now, I, you know, I can I can sort of get the majority of my operational day to day work done relatively quickly, and then depending on my availability, 
you know, the rest of that time is, if I've got it, I just spend it sort of, you know, prospecting and looking for the next deal. Um, so I'm quite fortunate like that. If, if something comes up, you know, I can just very easily, you know, turn the phone off or close the computer down and come back to it, you know, in a day or two. Yeah, I totally hear you. And I think that's what's, um, you know, personally speaking, landing in this situation where I'm doing, you know, more contracting, consulting work, partnering with businesses, but it's on my terms ultimately. And I put in what I want to put in. And if I don't, then I don't get results, you know, but what it allows me to do is, you know, allows me to spend more time with family. I mean, COVID's doing a good job of limiting commute time anyway, but, you know, I think it's going to be hard to go back and I'd be interested in your thoughts, you know, like it's hard to think about going back to a corporate lifestyle. And I think that's going to, I think the fortunate that, I mean, the good thing about this, if there is a good thing about this situation is that it's, creating a lot of questions in people's minds around what I was, what I was doing before something that I want to be doing longer term, you know? And I think when you've given the option, like you've just explained, you know, you've got the option to close the laptop and go and spend two hours doing something else, whatever that might be, you know, like it's a pretty, it's a pretty good situation to be in if you can create that for yourself. Oh, Absolutely. Um, you know, working from home, having, having that flexibility, uh, flexibility, I think the bigger corporates, I think they're getting better at it. You know, they're, they're, they're recognizing that, um, you know, people are, you know, we're never, we're never fully, um, away from our roles. You know, we're always, I guess we're always connected in one way or another, whether it be our emails or on our phone or, you know, you get messages popping up on Slack or whatever it might be. You know, you're never able to fully switch off. Um, so, you know, but having that flexibility to work from home, you know, work in the evenings or the mornings and, um, you know, I think big, big business is getting big, better at it. I mean, you look at with the COVID, you know, I think Google's come out and said no one's going to be coming back into the office until 2021. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I mean, they're just sending the, you know, they're just sending the groundswell, I guess, for, for other, other corporates to, to follow. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think America are in a, a whole different, a whole different world of pain to what we are, both on scale, you know, and just the day to day, you know, changes that are going to happen. But, um, so what, so what's next for buddy? Do you, do you see, I mean, at the moment growth is limited in a lot of ways because, you know, cafes are closed at the moment or cafes aren't at least, you know, growing. Um, they're just sort of maintaining like a lot of businesses. But do you see, you know, are there, do you have growth projections in the next couple of years or did you have prior to COVID? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, we, you know, we're very lucky in that, you know, the way that our business is set up, it's, I guess, it's kind of a bit of a, a recurring revenue model being that, you know, it's a it's a weekly rental. Um, our customers, you know, uh, are long long term customers. They're quite sticky. Um, we're we're you know, I guess, in terms of you know, cost of acquis- cost of acquisition, we're able to spend a lot of money. You know, in terms of um, 
marketing and advertising and, and sort of, you know, um, acquiring customers. Um, and because we're national, you know, for instance, with the lockdown, you know, Victoria's doing it a bit tough at the moment, but, you know, that's not to say that our other customers in the other states and territories aren't doing really well. Um, and a lot of those businesses, they have been able to pivot to, you know, good takeaway models and um, takeaway coffee is key to that. So um, they're seeing, I guess, you know, they're seeing value in, in, um, in I guess, the asset that they're using um, and they're happy to pay for it. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, when we, again, when we started the business, you know, the, the business model that we um, put together or the business plan we put together sort of uh, we thought was quite sound and secure and, you know, a pandemic's um, had to, I guess, um, it's funny that a pandemic, I guess, has come in and, and, and tested that. Um, mm. But we're, you know, yeah, all things considered, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Did you um, need it? Did you guys need, and is it just you and Steve that are the directors of the business? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, Steve and I, great mates from school. Um, I don't know if we've even talked about the background, but basically, you know, my background, banking and finance, um, you know, Steve, you know, a number of hospitality venues. Um, and we just talked about the fact that he needed some funding or finance for coffee machinery. And so we put together this model, um, set up an entity, and then it just sat there. It sat there for about two and a half years. And every, you know, once, maybe once a month, someone would call up and they go, oh, we heard that, you know, you guys do this, you know, from so-and-so. I'm looking at opening up a new venue. Can you help me out? And so did it need any like injection of funding early to get it going? Or you could just basically, as customers came on board, you you just basically manage the debt? Uh, yeah. So I guess from a um, wholesale debt perspective, you know, you've got different tiers of funding. Um, you know, your senior debt, your, your stretch senior, maybe in the, you know, your mezzanine and you know, obviously – you know, we put in some of our own equity into it. Um, but, um, yeah, we're just, you know, it's, you know, we're effectively buying as buying machinery, renting it out and, you know, ensuring there's a margin there. I mean, that's, that's as simple as it gets. Um, right. Love a simple. And I kind of, yeah. And look, it's, I mean, I'm not trying to um, play it down, but, you know, those sort of, um, I guess, when I look at sort of businesses at the moment that I like, or, you know, when I, when I think about what is a, a potential business opportunity, you know, those, those business, businesses that revolve around, I guess, you know, revenue that's um, predictable and stable and continuing, you know, that, mm. that recurring mm. revenue business model, um, you know, I think, you know, maybe I'm sounding a bit old here, but I think it's pretty, pretty sexy. Um, I, I don't think yeah, you're sounding been... old. I think you're sounding like someone and I'm doing exactly the same thing. You know, Claire and I have had, you know, businesses and dabbled in different things within the, within the Mercy Percy business over the years, you know, Claire kind of leading that and me sort of playing a bit more of a support role background, you know, helping with the business side of things, but, you know, and we're, we're sort of looking down the barrel of doing something new at the moment, but, and everything every consideration is coming through the filter of 
can we simplify it? Can it be simpler than that? Can we yeah. reduce risk by not needing to invest in certain overheads immediately? You know, like if you wanted to scale it back, could you scale it back and still provide a solution to the same customers, maybe at a smaller scale, but could you still service those core customers, you know, with a, with something, you know, if you needed to? Because I think as life changes and we, we experience that through having kids, you know, where we were a bull at a gate, you know, when we were living down at Flinders with Steve <laughs> and, you know, and Pang and, and the girls, we, you know, like that's where kind of Mercy Percy was born. And, you know, like you didn't have any, you've got no dependence, you've got no obligations. So you can just put everything you you can, you want into it. But I think now and through this COVID situation, it's sort of reframing, you know, what's worth, what's worth doing, what's not worth doing. So I think it's, you know, like, I think that's it. That's the, that's the beauty of what you're creating with Buddy anyway, is that it is simple and it's not playing it down. It's just, you know, like that's a good position to be in. You can always create complexity. Oh, you can. And I think that's going to come in one, one form or the other. You know, we, we get hit up to, you know, um, finance other assets and, Mm. um, and, you know, uh, inject capital into, into, into businesses and other ways. And, and straight away we sort of look at it and go, well, hang on, is that, is that what we're set up to do? Do we, you know, is that going to keep our business simple? Is it going to, you know, what's, what's the extra level of risk that that's going to entail? Um, all Have you talked about bringing people on like to help you in other States as being sort of BDMs or help with sales? Um, we have, I think for us though, it's again, keeping it simple and, and like a lot of um, businesses these days, you know, we're, we're very much still exploring and enhancing our uh, online presence, you know, around um Google ads, um, analytics, um, cost per click, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And how yeah. we grow our, our market um, by those sorts of channels. Um, because they, you know, they can be, um, you know, quite compelling or effective ways of, of, of growing your business without, without having to, you know, spend, uh, you know, large amounts on, I guess, human capital. Mm. So have you seen the new Instagram um, checkout, essentially? I'm trying to think what it is, but it's essentially using creators as your sales arm. So people with following, so people with following, you know, and you're like, you're a B2B business. But what's interesting, as as you're sort of just saying that, is that it allows you, if you've got, a cafe with influence or if you've got someone that is a serial cafe visitor, you know, or an influencer that is always going around to cafes, reviewing food or doing whatever. Ultimately what Instagram are creating is the ability for you to turn them into your sales arm by giving them the ability to post something. And within that post, there is an advertisement, to and this is where I don't know how it fits within a b2b environment but within that post you know rather than it being just a tag which then takes you through to a website so it takes you off the platform brands are able to tag or influencers are able to tag brand products 
and yep. then you can transact directly within Instagram. So it takes you through to a checkout. You say, I want that. Yep. At that price, send it to me. So it'd be interesting to see how that translates to a, a B2B environment for something like you guys, where you're still in that space of, you know, the passion around coffee and cafes and food, but you're just a, an add on, you know, service to the people that run those environments or that run those businesses. Be interesting. Oh, for sure. Mm. I think, and if you can jump onto those uh, new, new platforms or, or new, um, I guess, you know, f- features of, of, of a platform that like Instagram, then, you know, you're going to be at, you're going to be able to, I guess, get the most out of it yeah. um, when it first launches. I mean, it's a bit like influencers five years ago, right? I mean, yeah. the people who were onto that early have really um, made the most of that. Um, well, they rode the wave when it was early and then it all became a bit diluted. And then, you know, so people are a bit... It's still there. It's still, you know, it's. I think it's still a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing... Um, industry that's sort of come alive uh, yeah well yeah very short period of time i mean influencer marketing you know good mate of mine jules lund who runs tribe you know that's he's built a business around it and and you know i was just listening to a webinar that he ran yesterday and he was actually i'll send it to you because he was basically presenting you know what instagram are doing around this branded content stuff um but you know he's built a business around influencer marketing and influencer campaigns and you know his experience has been you know that it came out with a big with a big wave and then people got a bit burnt because they realized that the kim kardashians of the world weren't actually translating to sales for the brands that were sitting down in melbourne australia um but it's certainly it's certainly got its value it's just about how you interact with it oh absolutely i think you know um that whole influencer uh, universe. I think early on, I think people, like, I guess, you know, maybe people might have been getting, um, you know, businesses were getting cheap exposure uh, and, and, and exposure that was probably deemed to be more authentic than what it is today. Mm. You know, now you need to see someone with a product and you just go, oh, well, they're getting paid for that. How authentic is that? Mm. Um, Mate, uh, we'll wrap it up soon. What do you, but before we do, what, um, are you a big experimenter? Do you try different things, add things to your routine? You know, you try and learn learn something different. Are you experimenting with anything at the moment? Well, in what in what what way are you talking? What are you? I'm, I'm intentionally. I'm, I'm intentionally leading it open so you give me something. No, like you know, something that I'm doing at the moment. I'm trying to. Well, podcasting is an experiment for me, but you know, add add meditation into my routine. I'm doing cold showers, which we've probably spoken about. Been doing it for a while now. You know, yep. you, what are you are you trying anything at the moment that you you know trying to adopt? I'm trying to drink less. That's about it. That's good. Um, me what too. am I trying? Oh, look, I've got a. I think from a from a business perspective, I've got a few a few business ideas that I want to maybe have a crack at in the um, second half of this year. Right. Uh, just again, just no, no expectations just for the, for a bit of fun. Um, and have nothing... they come up because of COVID or have they come up or were you, uh, were you planning these for a while? 
uh, I think I've had some ideas for a while and maybe the opportunities are just sort of, they're starting to ripen a bit or, you know, I think maybe there might be the time to have a go. Um, but all these things take, you know, certain amounts of time and effort and, and happy to spend that time and effort, but with homeschooling and other, um, you know, things going on with COVID, you sort of, <laughs> you can't always, I guess things get, get put back on the back burner. Um, but Absolutely. you need to, um, I think, as you know, you need to have a crack because otherwise you're left wondering why and, and, and you don't, um, you know, you don't feel as fulfilled, I guess. That's right, mate. You got to have a crack. One last one. Have you, have you bought anything recently that you regret? No. I knew that your answer would be no to that. <laughs> I feel like you're someone that, you know, you make your mind up and you're like, no, nah, this is, this is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm buying. I've definitely bought a few things that I haven't used. Yeah. And, but I, I am going to use them. I haven't regretted buying them. Good. I'll tell you what though, Jack, I, I mean, I'm, this has been fantastic. I've actually enjoyed this. What <laughs> is, um, but coming back to the very start of this podcast, yeah. why are we doing this again? <laughs> I was hoping you what were going what, what, I know, but uh, I guess f for me, I mean, I, I, I love that we're doing a podcast and that you know, you're reaching out to your contacts and your friends and, and talking to them about their experiences and their journeys. Mm. But is, and we've talked about... Um, your um, desire to go out and and do your own thing. Mm. You know, have you? Playing. Yeah. Have you? Have you got some more ideas in terms of how? Like, is is this going to be a a segue into Jacko setting up his own business? No. Well, look, podcasting is a medium for me. Like to answer that question directly. I'm doing this because a little while ago, I, I sort of had this thought that I wanted to have more meaningful conversations with people that I know and people that I don't know. And through those conversations, you learn about them and you learn about yourself. And so that's what this is about. You know, and I, and I was sort of, I've, you know, how many times have you been to an event or you've gone out with mates and you're kind of like, I didn't really come away from that. You know, like I, f I feel like you just touch on the surface with everyone and you don't really go deep with people, but there's people are dealing with stuff or they're having experiences. I actually don't think that I get, I have that with you. Like when we catch up, you know, socially or whatever, I think we have great chats and you're pretty open and, you know, talk about what you're doing, what you're not doing, but it's so easy to fall into those ruts of just talking about the weather you know, talking about very surface level stuff. So what I enjoy about this podcasting environment, you know, is it creates a opportunity to talk about things that generally you wouldn't, you know, in just a catch up over a coffee or, or over a beer in a social setting, you know, and then you extend that to people that are outside your network that you just genuinely have an interest in what they're doing and how they've gotten to where they've gotten to. And, you know, it just starts, I think it's, it's all about curiosity all about the curious conversations <laughs> good on you jacko <laughs> thanks mate you never stop learning you know and you know you've got to keep listening 
That's right. I uh, I read a book actually just to finish on that called A More Curious Question. No, sorry, A More Beautiful Question. And it's just around that concept of questioning and how important it is and how we get to the age of four and we start to lose the ability to question. You know, you've got kids, you've got young kids that are in that, that sweet spot about how they ask. You know, it just it's like a machine gun. Of oh, questions. they don't stop. They don't stop. They don't stop. But the problem is, is that they do stop, you know, and, and, and we see that, well, not yet, not for you, but when they get to the, when they get to the probably early teens or, you know, whatever it is, they do stop asking questions. And as, as humans and as adults, we do stop asking questions because I mean, society kind of creates that environment, but yeah, I just think it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea to continue that, that the importance of question of the question so important so important thank you mate thanks for uh giving me the last 45 minutes or so that's right i hope it makes the cut (laughs) it's got no choice it's episode four mate it's going in